Hi, welcome to Igniting Ecstasy in Business. I'm your host and master coach, Alex Persclub, and I'm going to be diving into what it takes to create more success and abundance in your business while living with more joy, excitement, and passion on the journey. This is not your typical business podcast. This is a judgment-free space where we're willing to put all the growth topics on the table, and we're not afraid to address the uncomfortable or to share raw behind-the-scenes stories to support your expansion. So tune in for inspiration, strategies, reflection questions, and interviews with world-class guests to help you elevate your business, unleash the power of your full expression, and to infuse more ecstasy into your day-to-day life. Because you deserve to live a life that lights you up inside. And there's no better time to start than right now. Welcome, welcome, everyone. I am just so excited for today's episode of Igniting Ecstasy in Business. I am being joined by a wonderful and inspiring woman, business owner, friend, and mentor, Trisha Brooke. And so I want to take a moment to share with all of you a little bit about Trisha's history and expertise so you understand why this is so special to have her here on the podcast and to share her incredible stories and wisdom and expertise with us. So having worked in theater, film, and television for over three decades, Trisha Brooke is an international award-winning director, author, and producer. She's the executive producer of Speakers Who Dare and the former executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square in New York City. And she hosts an award-winning podcast, The Big Talk, with over 250 episodes. As the founder of her company, The Big Talk, she has put thousands of speakers onto countless big stages, and she designs speaker platforms for thought leaders all over the world. So Trisha, welcome. It is so good to have you here, and I am really excited to see where we go with our conversation here today. I am so excited to be here with you, Alex, and I also am so excited to update that bio because we have over 500 episodes. (laughs) How amazing is that? Thank, thank you wow. for highlighting highlighting that. That's amazing. I love learning where we can improve inside of the Big Talk company. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for your graciousness with that. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, it's great for us to know. This is what's so exciting about being on a live podcast. And this is being pre-recorded, but we are live, is that we get to sort of be in the moment and to understand what it means to ignite ecstasy in the actual moment. And so for me, having this opportunity to live in ecstasy, which is a feeling of happiness and overwhelming joy, and being in this moment with you to talk about what we're going to talk about today, and to be able to just recognize, wow, we used to only have 250 episodes, and now we have over 500. Like that gives me goosebumps. That gives me ecstasy. So I love that we're kicking off the episode this way. I am also just so thrilled that that came up organically, and I want to go a little bit more into ecstasy and understanding what does give you ecstasy and, and how you tap into that. Before we do, do you mind also just sharing a little bit more now of your, your personal journey and how you got to where you are and why you are excited to talk about ecstasy here with us today? I would love to. I am from Missouri. I grew up on a farm in a small town 20 miles south of St. Louis called Arnold, Missouri. And I always knew that I was going to move to New York City to become a dancer. I started dancing at the age of seven. I became obsessed with Dance Magazine, Point Shoes, Barishnikov, Gelsie Kirkland, PBS, Nutcracker, all things tutus. 
And I knew that I was going to literally be a professional dancer. I never wavered from that. I studied dance with Sharon McGuire and Lillian DeNoyer until I went away to college. I wasn't planning to go to college. I was just going to move to New York. And my parents luckily put a stop to that so that I could get an education. And I went to Stevens College, had a a three-year experience, three-year, two-summer accelerated BFA program so that I could get my butt to New York City as soon as possible. Moved here at 20, started pursuing my career in dance, had an incredible, incredible dance career. While being a dancer, I also had no interest in being a starving artist. So I started my first company, a fitness company that is still in existence. I've always been an entrepreneur. And I was off dancing in Europe while my trainers were making money for me here in in New York and making money for themselves and all of the things that an entrepreneur does is they are able to have revenue streams while they're doing other things. And so that was something that I was very comfortable with. I loved being a dancer. I also knew that I was going to wrap my career up at a time that felt right for me. I did not want to be a dancer who danced into their 40s, into their 50s, not quite as well as they did when they were 30. I wanted to close, to have closure on my dance career my way. And so I decided to choreograph and direct a one-woman show where all of the solos that choreographers had made on me in my career, I brought them all into one piece, one, one concert, and then I choreographed two on myself. And it was a show called Dining Alone because it was me devouring my career in one final performance. And that's what I did. It was just like a Zen sand sculpture. We spent nine months creating this beautiful mandala of sand, just like the Buddhist monks. And when we were done, I just washed it away and I was done. And it was satisfying and sacred and amazing. And then I organically moved into choreographing film, television, and theater then moved into directing, moved into producing and writing and was doing my thing in showbiz. And out of the blue, a friend said, I just landed a TED stage. Would you direct me? And I thought, oh yeah, sure. It'll be just like a one person show. We'll do intention, choreography, script analysis, blocking, uh, acting techniques. And that's what we did. And she planted the seed. You should do this. And I thought, do what? Speaking is a thing. And I had zero online credibility. I was not on Facebook. I had no social media connections at all because in entertainment, you don't really need that. It's changing a little bit now. So I hired a coach who taught me about online marketing. And in this process, she invited me to have a conversation with John Lee Dumas, who is the uh, podcast host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he said, you should do a a couple podcasts, just do three episodes and teach people your process. You you create some credibility back to the podcast over 500 episodes later, I loved it and realized that I could actually have more reach and legacy by helping others use their voices than I could when I was dancing on a stage, which was limited to the length of time I was on stage and the number of people in the audience. And that's why I decided to, to found my company, the big talk where I help amplify and elevate voices of thought leaders in order to unite humanity through speech. 
I really appreciate you sharing those specific details of your story. I didn't know that about the one woman show. And that was just really interesting for me to hear for the first time. I appreciate you sharing with the audience and multiple things I could ask from what you just shared. But what actually stuck out to me the most is what you just said about uniting humanity through speech. I personally think we're in a time in our lives where divisiveness and judgment is at an all-time high. We have a lot of people um, otherizing each other. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about that, Trisha, and what that means to you. How do you help unite humanity through speech? Such a great question, Alex, and it's such a big question. Mm -hmm. And how I do this, how I uh, aspire to do this, and hope to do this every single day, every second of the day, is by creating an inclusive community, uh, and a community that where every voice is heard. And I say this because I truly believe every voice matters. Your voice matters, no matter what our beliefs are. If we have opposing political beliefs, opposing uh, faith beliefs, every voice needs to be heard and every voice matters. And the, my, my first book, The Influential Voice, saying what you mean for lasting legacy speaks to that, which is just because we don't have the same opinion doesn't mean we can't come together and have love and have respect for one another. And so teaching people how to effectively communicate with dignity, curiosity, respect, humility, and love is how I aspire to unite humanity through speech. When Roe v. Wade was overturned, the first person I called was my dear friend who is of the Catholic faith and who is pro-life. And I am Buddhist and I am pro-choice. And for anyone who's listening, this is not meant to be triggering or separate, separating us. It's, it's just meant to color the picture of two opposing viewpoints here. Mm -hmm. And I called my friend and I said, I love you and I respect you. And I really wanna have a conversation with you about how I'm feeling right now. And that's what we did. Did we change each other's minds? No. Did we open up each other's thoughts to what is possible? And did we maintain a loving, respectful relationship? 100%. This is why I'm so passionate and I'm so ecstatic and living in ecstasy around uniting humanity through speech, because I think it's possible when all voices are valued. I truly got chills as you were sharing that. I've, I've heard you share that story before about when Roe Wade was overturned and I loved it when I heard you. I think I heard you share that on your podcast the first time. And in that moment, I felt such a resonance with you because I also believe we really need spaces where people can seek to understand and to be heard without reaching for judgment and to instead allow all of you to be welcome doesn't mean I have to agree or that we have to have the same viewpoint, but when you allow all of you to be welcome, there's so much more power in that because now you're approaching it from a place of love and openness, as opposed to just coming in from your ego and trying to convince someone to believe what you believe. Absolutely. And being different is what makes the world so beautiful. And, and being different is what connects us. 
and what teaches us and what gives us a sense of wonder and curiosity. And so that is what excites me is being able to have a conversation with someone who has the complete opposing viewpoint as mine. And I get to see the world through their lens, which opens up my lens. So let me actually uh, take us here now, Tricia. It's was sparked and inspired by what you just said, what I'm about to ask, but it also is turning inward a little bit. So I agree with everything you said about connecting with people, you know, externally. And I would love to hear a little more from you about this because you have grown such a successful business, right? You grew your business quickly from what I know about you and, and you've created an incredible impact. You work with thousands of speakers from all over the world. Um, you're also personally have all of these accomplishments. And so something that I find with a lot of, of the women in my community, high achieving women who are ambitious and driven, who are also heart-centered and conscious and, and growing and evolving, a big um, I'll say trend I see is the self-judgment, having a lot of harsh judgment for yourself, being critical of yourself, or sometimes even it just shows up as, well, you still could have done this better. If you had just done this differently, you know, then you'd be further along. And so with the work you've done on um, being unified and having compassion over judgment, are you open to sharing a little bit more about your own relationship with judgment? and internally and what that's been like for you and, and how you've moved through that? I'm completely open to, to speaking to that. Bring it on, Alex. Okay, <laughs> beautiful. Do you have specific questions or do you want me to kind of share some moments with you? Yeah, maybe what, maybe what would be um, the most relevant is, do you have a specific experience with a self-judgment that you had to overcome in order to step into the success and ecstasy that you often experience today. Beautifully framed. Yes. And I want to kind of lead us up to that because I think it'll be more, in, more impactful and potent for your listeners. I was what I called an, uh, uh, an incompetent, competent, an unconscious competent. And what that means is an unconscious competent. And what that means is from as long as I can remember, I just did things. I knew I was gonna be a dancer. I knew I was gonna get an A plus in uh, biology and chem because I wanted to be smart and a dancer. I knew that I was going to move to New York. I knew that I was going to dance with specific companies. I knew I was gonna tour Europe. I knew I was gonna backpack across Europe. I knew all of these things. I knew that I was going to choreograph my first feature film without ever having done it before. I knew that I was going to write my own musicals so that I didn't have to wait for someone else to do it. I just knew that I was always going to do this. And so I never had judgment. It never creeped in. It never got in the way. I never experienced limiting beliefs. I never experienced fear. I never experienced any of it because I started dancing so young. And I was in dance competitions and I sometimes won and I sometimes didn't, most of the time I won. I was not always the best dancer, but I worked harder than the other dancers so that I would be better than them. So for me, being an unconscious competent, I didn't understand failure or limiting beliefs because I just kept going forward. Mm -hmm. And when things didn't work out, it was like next, next, 
next, what's next? The one time that I had one thought, huh, this is interesting, was when I wrote The Influential Voice and pre-sales pre were off the hook. I, my community rallied. There's gorgeous pictures of people holding the book. I was so proud. And I wrote this book because of what was going on in our country and because of what was going on at the White House and with George Floyd's murder. This is what inspired me to write this book. And when I did, I didn't hold anything back. And it was called The Influential Voice. So when it actually dropped and people could buy it and get it in their hands, the day before I thought, oh no, I can never have a fight with Joe ever again. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm supposed to be the speaker, the person who knows exactly what to say every single day. And I thought, ooh, I need to speak to this because do-overs are a thing. And I need to make it clear to my audience that I constantly ask for do-overs because I can't be perfect. None of us are perfect. And if we want to become an influential voice, it requires forgiveness of self and others. It requires making, making it clear that you're asking for a do-over and that you weren't your best self and you didn't say the perfect thing. And so that is the one time I had that, ooh, this is going to be tricky. <laughs> and then when I realized, no, it isn't. I just have to be a human being and say, I ask for do-overs and that's what I do. The second time some of this kind of uh, concern came in or judgment was when I turned 50, I thought I asked my speakers to be vulnerable every single day. I asked them to speak their truth every single day. If I'm not walking the walk, that is not fair and that is out of alignment. So when I turned 50, I did an entire month in the month of August in 2020, 50 things I learned in my 50 years. And I just went for it. And I did 50 YouTube videos. I did 50 posts. I did 50 Facebook lives. And that really gave me permission to, I'm not going to curse on this podcast, not give an F. <laughs> <laughs> And that was really the turning point of like, I've never really cared what anybody else thinks because I'm, I really, it doesn't matter what you think. That's your story. It matters what I think. And what I think is I know I show up in integrity. I know that I care about the people I serve. I know what my intentions are. I know what my purpose and my mission and my values are. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. So when I fully embodied that at 50 and became public about it, the, uh, any kind of judgment that was any residual judgment from the book in the past or anything went away completely. Mm. By you really putting your full, bold, unapologetic self out there and communicating it. That's what I'm hearing, that that also really just helped any lingering judgments. Yeah. Yes. And I didn't really have lingering judgment. It was just like, you know, the hiccup of the mind sometimes tries to get you to be uh, small. And I just don't have time to do that. The day of this podcast recording, everyone who's listening and watching, my second book dropped and it's about menopause. <laughs> so like I'm putting it all out there because I don't have anything to lose and I am of service 
uniting humanity, humanity through speech, uniting humanity through conversation. This is all, all about me showing up. And, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this as well, is that I live every single day like it's my last. My husband knows how much I love him. My friends know how much I love them. My clients know how much I love them. No one in my orbit is unclear about how much I care about them. No one. My team, my neighbors, my doorman, my barista, my florist, my shoe repair guy. I make sure every single person feels my ecstasy every single day because it could be my last. And so that is why I have zero time for judgment. Wow. That's really, really powerful. Trisha, I mean, I'm very open about this, that having a harsh inner judge was huge for me. I had a big inner critic and it's something I've explored and looked at and, and done a lot of um, healing around. And I love the energy that you're bringing in right now of saying, I don't have time for this because you've made your mission and the impact you want to leave on the world so important. And that's your focus, right? I'm hearing you focus on that and you focus on spreading the love you want to spread to people and having people know their importance to you and that you're so mission driven that it overrides the temptation to that can pop up from the mind or the ego to be small. Oh my goodness. I am inviting three incredible gentlemen who are dear friends of mine. We're doing a, a, a mastermind together this, this weekend. And I asked them to do an exercise that we are going to speak to and, and kind of unpack together, which is writing their obituaries. And I also wrote my obituary. And in doing this, what I realized is I want every single person when I'm in the room with them to feel like they're the only one in the room with me. That's how much love I want people to feel when I'm interacting with them and communicating with them. Ooh, chills again. This is good for our listeners here. Um, just the the energy and granted, Trisha and I aren't live in the same room together. We're just over Zoom right now, but I'm still just feeling the the passionate energy just um, that you're exuding right now. It's, it's palpable and powerful. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit more about how you've you've cultivated this, Trisha, because again, I I know a lot of women in my community who are impact driven and, and have big visions and, and many too, who want to use their voice and who want to be speaking more or be more clear in their messaging, you know, that they're putting out online and, and using their voice and their work in the world to make an impact. And I know you mentioned before too, um, about, um, about your spirituality and I know for me, spirituality is a, is a huge component of stepping into more ecstasy because actually the, I have two definitions of ecstasy. There's the emotional state of joy and happiness and fulfillment. And then there's also the spiritual state of being so fully connected to your highest self and where fear and your ego is not in the driver's seat. But when you're in that full present in the now connected to yourself, and I believe that creates true ecstasy when we're connected like that. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about what you've done to cultivate that commitment to, to your mission, to your vision, to be able to show up 
with that kind of energy and focus? You know, what, what does that look like to be able to do that and, and really um, trust using your voice powerfully? When I became uh, a conscious competent and stopped uh, using the language of, I accidentally became a choreographer. I accidentally became a director, accidentally became a writer and really owned. No, I, because of my years of expertise and credibility and credibility, am a really great choreographer, am an excellent director, am an amazing writer, an incredible mentor, and allowed that to just be fact, not boastful, fact. The facts are, I am very talented at what I do, extremely talented at what I do, and I'm not going to back off from that. I'm going to magnetize with that fact and call in the people who desire to use their voice for good in the world, who desire to have big impact. And so when I decided, and it was a decision, Alex, to be full on in integrity with the fact that I am extremely good at what I do, then I didn't have to think about it anymore. And I just got busy doing the work. And you did touch on this a moment ago. I founded the big talk only about five years ago. And we exploded very rapidly, not because I had some multi-million dollar launch that people are talking about on social media without any help from anyone else. No, because I meticulously, strategically, and mindfully cultivated and curated a team, created a team culture, created a business model that is sustainable. I am not somebody who is um, staying up till four in the morning. I go to bed at 7.30 and I wake up at four in the morning in order to accomplish everything that I need to. So to be very clear, I am not one of those entrepreneurs who had one launch and it was $5 million. And then I went to Tahiti for a month. I slowly and methodically curated the right team, the right product, the right business model, so that I can serve at the highest level and I'm not running around exhausted. I'm not wondering when the next launch is gonna happen because I spent all my money on the trip to Tahiti. That's not how I roll. I am very thoughtful in my process. And that again, creates ecstasy because it's joy and happiness. And it is the slow and steady success of someone who is going to maintain a successful business for decades in order to have the kind of impact that I desire, which is uniting humanity through speech. And that is a global mission. Mm. You know, what's really standing out to me about what you're sharing and this theme I'm seeing emerge is the real intentionality. So much intentionality, you mentioned being methodical, you know, and really planning out your long-term big picture that everything you're doing is supporting your mission. And I'm hearing high focus, taking really good care of yourself, getting good sleep at night. I know you've talked before in other um, podcasts and, and stages about being a high performer and really taking care of your body and paying attention to what you eat and what you consume and what you focus on. And 
I just come back to intentionality and being very mindful of, of where you focus. And now I would love to ask this because I know you also coach so many speakers and I'm sure you've worked with speakers from all different backgrounds and belief systems. And, and I'm sure you've helped people move through a lot of fear because a lot of people that I know at least have a lot of fear around speaking and using their voice, myself included, had a lot of fears to work through about believing in, um, in the power of my message and that my voice matters. So knowing that you yourself didn't have a lot of um, fears or limiting beliefs that you really had to work through and that it was already so innate in you to be really focused and intentional. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on where you find the balance between helping just move people past fear and get them refocused on the mission and what they want while also not bypassing and not just a, missing fear. Such a great question. I love this so much. It's really, really important that you're bringing this up. There's two things about this that I want to touch on. The first thing is um, about principles. And I talk about principles in the relationship to fear and using your voice in this way. Most of your listeners, I'm assuming most, if not all of your listeners, would never want to silence someone else. They would never want to make fun of someone else uh, in any way. They would never want to... Uh, make anyone feel small or um, deter them from speaking their truth. Nobody watching or listening in this environment would probably want to do that. So why would you violate those principles by making yourself small, silencing your own voice, making fun of your own voice or self, or deterring you from being authentic and from speaking out? When we do that, we are literally violating our own principles. So I bring that to your attention first. And the second part of this idea of not bypassing fear, but acknowledging it is when you are in fear, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy. I have too many kids. My partner doesn't want me to all of these limiting beliefs are about you. When you step back and you realize you not using your voice is preventing someone out there from hearing what they need to hear from you in order to have a better life. Are you going to put yourself ahead of someone who needs to hear from you because of your fear and discomfort? And when you determine whether or not you're more important than the person you want to help, then you can begin to coexist with that fear. That's so good, Trisha. You reminded me of a talk I used to give in one of my master classes about being unapologetic in who you are. And I used to often address people pleasing in this talk. And a lot of women I know, I, te I tend to have a lot of women in my world that I can relate to, and I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I know what it's like to tell yourself that you're people pleasing or stifling what you actually think, feel, or want because of how someone else might react. And you can talk yourself into thinking that's in service to people, right? Well, it's, it's being kind because it's not upsetting anybody, yet you're actually just stifling your voice and, and being dishonest and not sharing your truth because of how people might react. And if you truly believe 
that the world needs more people to be who they really are. If you're a believer in authenticity, if you're a believer in owning your value and that we all have inherent value and worth and that we need to be seen for who we really are, then how dare you not share who you really are because of what other people might think of you? Because that's actually putting your ego before being in service. Absolutely. And when we talk about ecstasy, I can only imagine the number of women who listen to this podcast who are embarrassed to even understand what ecstasy means, embarrassed to fully embody ecstasy, um, give themselves permission to have ecstasy, to be ecstasy, to embody ecstasy. And I really encourage everyone who listens to this podcast and to you and your solo cast and your interviews to give yourself permission to love in a way that is ecstatic. Love yourself, love your partner, love your kids, love your pets, love your life, love your community, because you can. And when you make the decision to be in ecstasy, doesn't mean that all the other stuff goes away. It means that you can be in ecstasy and still be a human being. I talk a lot about spirit and source and we are spirits having a human experience. I truly believe that. And in one of the things we haven't touched on, which we can is uh, why I live every day. Like it's my last, but the idea of the ecstatic spirit of who we are, you have no idea when you literally embody that we are on camera right now. We're not in the same physical location, but we are having an energetic exchange that is extremely ecstatic. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that your listeners and your viewers will be able to feel that vibration at the same time. And that is because both Alex and I are having an ecstatic experience and we are having a, an ecstatic exchange. And that is possible for everyone when you allow it and you embody it. You're speaking to exactly what I was feeling before when I said I could actually feel the energy through the computer as you were sharing, because it is, it's, there's something magnetic about you standing in the truth of who you really are and sharing from a place of boldness and conviction. And I feel that every time we connect, Trisha, and it's one of the reasons I was drawn to you. When I met you years ago, I heard you speak actually at an event was the first time I met you and you walked on stage in a amazing, powerful red blazer that was just, oh, so, yeah, just so, uh, I'll say it, so badass. And um, and then you stood on the stage and you had us all put our arms out and say, I am a limitless creator. And you could just feel the energy because you believed it. You believed it from within you. And then you invited us to say it. And there is something so, so magnetic about, I believe, a, a woman standing in her power, in her full authentic self and fully expressing herself. It's so powerful and it inspires others and it helps others access their own authenticity and, and shine their lights brightly. And so I think the work that you're doing in the world, Trisha, is just so powerful to help others be able to use their voice to do the same. Thank you. I really received that. I appreciate you, Alex. Hmm. Well, before we start to wrap up here, Trisha, 
you actually just said a moment ago that we could go into why why you live every day like it's your last is there anything more you would like to say about that for sure uh i did a podcast not too long ago about why i live every day in, in the present moment and it's not from a place of morbidity it's a, it's from a place of reality um i have had a lot of death in my life um my mentor died of HIV when I was in my early 20s. My dad's mentor, Christopher Gillis. My sister died of addiction. Um, my grand, both, all my grandparents have passed. My father passed of Parkinson's. Um, my dear friend, James Gandolfini passed. I mean, the list is long. <laughs> and I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm simply saying the list is long and this has been part of my reality. So I'm an expert in grieving. I understand the beautiful, fleeting, precious life that we have on this planet so deeply. And I live every day in such profound gratitude because I know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Now, what I want to say about this as well is I really thought I was an expert in grieving and I'm a Buddhist. So I practice non-detachment. I practice oneness. I practice impermanence and not long ago, both of my fur babies transitioned within a six month period, a six week period of each other. And it was the most profound grief I have ever and still am experiencing. Lola and Bella. They have become my teachers <laughs> and I've always been in gratitude and I've always been present but I'm so grateful to have now experienced this transition in such a way that just emphasizes and um, gives me more evidence that I am living my life the way I'm supposed to be living it in purpose, but also in such profound gratitude. It's not a place of being morbid. It's a place of being, or maudlin. It's a place of being present. And so why I do things like write my obituary or I make sure that Joe, uh, we have eye contact before he leaves in the morning or before I leave is because there are no guarantees, everybody. And so being able to just like, this is it, this is it. This is the best day ever. This is the best exchange ever. This is the best moment in time ever is how I live my life because it feels ecstatic. <laughs> Yeah, well, there was such a deep sense of gratitude, you know, that you're intentionally focusing on gratitude because this life is so short and it's and it is fleeting and it brings this reminder for me every time I go through grief, this reminder of what will I really value or care about at the end of my life mm. will i look back and think oh man i i wish i had watched just a little bit more tv i wish i had watched this tv show or finished this episode or i wish i'd taken more time to scroll on my phone through social media or i wish i had really you know just people pleased a little bit more and not used my voice here 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 because it felt safer and more secure are those the things i'm going to value or will I really value that I followed my heart? 
will I value that I pursued a life of following my heart and being expressed? And so often we just worry so much about the little things that will not matter, will not matter in the grand scheme of things. For sure. And to add to that beautiful reflection, Alex, that doesn't mean that you're going to be sitting back and just waiting for your life or sitting back and, and only thinking about esoteric things. It also means that you have an opportunity to get busy in your work, in your community, in your social activism, if that's where you choose, in your books, in your speaking, in your podcast hosting. It means your contribution. So although we're talking about big stuff when it comes to life is short, who are you going to spend time with? It also means life is short. How are you going to create and leave your lasting legacy? And I'm hoping that everyone listening today is either on that path or can make a decision today to get on that path. And it can be anything from volunteering to writing a book to being a host of a podcast or being a guest on a podcast or simply writing a social media post with the hopes of inspiring someone. There are a million ways you can leave a lasting legacy and that is really important while you're here. So, so beautifully said, Trisha. On one hand, that feels like a great place to end because that was just... Yeah, so wonderfully and eloquently communicated. And I also think that I would do a disservice to my audience if I didn't ask you this one last question because you have such incredible expertise in this space. So if you're available for it, I do have one lighter question to yes. wrap us up today. Bring it on. Okay, great. With those members of my audience who are interested in growing their speaking careers and who want to be getting their voice out there and and making a your more influential impact. What would you say are the top three most important things for them to focus on or to, to grow in, you know, to get support with in order to really elevate their speaking? Very simply put, start leading with speaker, make it clear and obvious to people that that's what you want to be doing. Change all of your banners on social media to lead with speaker and then move into whatever your area of expertise is the other thing that I would suggest is get support like innovationwomen.com, get, get a profile set up for yourself. I'm not an affiliate affiliate with uh, innovationwomen.com. I just happen to really love and respect Bobby Carlton, whose platform it is. Um, speakerhub.com, speaker, speakermatch.com. These are places that you can create speaker profiles for free. Innovation is a couple hundred bucks a year. But innovate, uh, Speaker Hub and Speaker Match, you can create profiles for free. Um, tell people that you want to speak and really understand the three things about credibility, relatability, and vulnerability as a speaker. You are the credible expert because it's your lived experience. You don't have to have a published book or a PhD next to your name in order to be the credible expert. Understanding vulnerability. When you decide to be a speaker, if you are going to start talking about your trauma and you've not healed from it yet, it's not time. You're not ready. You always want to speak from the scar, not the wound. And when you are on stage and you're speaking vulnerably, 
If you become emotional, you rob the audience of having an emotional experience. If you become emotional, you rob the audience of having an emotional experience. And then finally, relatability. Be sure that you start to practice, rehearse, making eye contact with audiences, whether it's on a podcast or on a panel. Start to eliminate and like so um you know from your vocabulary and speak from the heart your point of view is unique to your to you it's yours alone and when you allow yourself to speak through your point of view you become relatable beautiful succinct clear steps i love it I know I said that was the last question, but I have just one quick follow-up because this actually is something I'm currently working on and full transparency, I will own, I struggle with it, is the filler words, the ums and the ands. I, I use the thinking words. I've done it throughout this episode and it feels very unconscious because I'm I'm always thinking about it. And yet I re-listen to the episodes and see, oh, I'm still doing it. So for anyone in my audience who can relate to this right now, how can you work on the filler words when it's so unconscious? Make it conscious by listening to podcasts that you're guest on so you can see how often you do it. And then really it's becoming comfortable with silence. The thinking words is the placeholder for the silence. And when you become comfortable without saying anything, you'll stop saying those filler words. That's really good. As you said that, what came up for me was also not rushing, slowing down and owning it's okay to take up space. That's right. And to take your time to say what you need to say. That's right. Beautiful. And the audience will wait. The audience will wait for you. And that's something that is really something um, all speakers can work on is when you're on stage, wait. They will be there with you in the palm of your hand. So good. So good. Well, Trisha, where can people learn more about your work in the world and for people who are desiring to speak on big stages and, and grow in that? Where can they learn more about you? You can find me at trishabrook.com. I'm on Instagram. I would love to hear from you there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook and I have a YouTube channel and a podcast. I would also love to offer your audience and listeners chapter one of the Influential Voice book complimentary. And you can grab that at trishabrook.com. No, theinfluentialvoicebook.com forward slash chapter. And it's all on purpose, value, and mission. Mm, wonderful. We will drop all of that in the show notes so our listeners can easily find it. Trisha, thank you so much for being here with me today and for being willing to open up and be vulnerable and go deep and share your stories and your experiences of really being in that ecstatic energy that brings so much joy and purpose and impact into life. I truly appreciate you and everything you shared today. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I appreciate you too. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners. We know your time is your most valuable asset. So thank you for being here with us today. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Igniting Ecstasy in Business. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Igniting Ecstasy in Business. If you enjoy what you heard and you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. I love to hear your feedback, your insights, questions, or any desired topic requests. You can also reach me directly through the contact page at alexpurseglove.com. 
I so appreciate you spending your time here with me today. And until next time, I'm wishing you a beautiful day of focusing on what lights you up inside.